I know we just did this <laughs> three days ago. Uh, I'm just I'm trying to get back on the schedule. So uh, not a lot going on. I, you can read from the title. Uh, we kind of want to do anything but Ukraine. I'm not Ukrained out completely. Hopefully, I'm not like I craned out or anything like that. Uh, but it really, I mean, it's dominating the news for good reason. Um, and you can pretty much go anywhere else that you would like to to discuss that topic with someone who is infinitely more qualified uh, with the ins and outs of all of that. Uh, if you want to bring it up, that's that's fine. I'm not, I'm not going to kick you out. But uh, I was kind of hoping to just do something kind of fun for the end of the month, um, kind of a, a, an ask me almost anything or any topic that's on your guys' heads. Uh, I did write a piece of Spectator uh, based on a couple of things a couple of you brought up in regards to Ukraine that gave me kind of some ideas to sit on. And that was talking about um, this was kind of the first big nation state conflict that's really playing out on social media, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Telegram in particular, where um, we're just kind of taking everything in. And it really is hard to kind of discern what is accurate, what isn't. And it's kind of putting everyone through a fun test. Um, I, I don't really have a plus or minus on that. Like, you know, like I said, the ghost of Kiev would be kind of awesome if that was real. And it turns out it doesn't look like it is. Obviously, the Snake Island thing, I don't think that this is being used for propaganda, sort of speak, but it's you see these things where something set happens, it goes viral, and nobody kind of waits on it. And it's you're getting all of these urban myths, and you're getting them like instantly, you know, it's not like, it's not like they're spreading the word of a legendary sniper from, you know, Polish town to town uh, in World War II or anything like that. Like it just gets rocketed around instantly. So there's just a few fun observations that I wrote over at Spectator. So if you, if you'd want to get your Ukraine fix, you can do it over there. I don't want to do it here, but uh, I, I won't kick you out of the room. Uh, we'll get going for about an hour, an hour and a half, um, depending on how many people there are. Uh, I, I sent out a late notification. I've just been burying bodies. So hopefully I'll get some people in here and uh, we can talk. I'm seeing some familiar faces already. Uh, if you're new here, um, if you're new on Colin, just you should have a button there that says request to speak. And you can kind of see everyone just lines up and I'll take you. And uh, like I said, you can pretty much say anything that you want, any topic that you want today. I don't know. Maybe you'd like to see the Batman. Um there were a few more fun hot takes from people like Nicole Hannah-Jones, who doesn't believe that Europe is a continent. That was a fun one um, to kind of end the week. So anything that, you know, is uh, media, culture, music, film related, anything like that. So like I said, just anything but Ukraine, please. <laughs> it's it's super important what's going on over there. And again, I'm not trying to diminish it, but like I said, it's, it's so saturated everything right now that uh, I thought we could like use a break and... Uh, maybe have some fun, lighten the mood a little bit. So just uh, any any topic, any story, maybe you came across a new story you want to talk about or, or let people talk about or whatever, anything like that. Uh, we obviously also have the State of the Union tomorrow night. So if you want predictions on how that's going to go, um, we can maybe do a bingo card. Uh, if you have any anything that you think for sure you think is going to be brought up at the State of the Union. As we all know, uh, the mask mandate was dropped for Congress today, conveniently. <laughs> and if that looks suspicious, because it 100% is, you had three more states drop their mask mandates. Um, so this virus wasn't shut down as much as it was just, we're going to stop paying attention to it. So 
it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see uh, how the State of the Union goes. And I don't know what topics you're going to cover. Foreign policy hasn't really been a success. Domestic agenda is dead. I guess you can just talk about your infrastructure bill for an hour and 20 minutes. Um, that, that'll put everybody to sleep. That'll probably put Biden to sleep if he just starts, you know, talking about it. So give me some predictions for State of the Union. Also, that'd be a fun topic. But like I said, anything you guys kind of want to go into, uh, I'm pretty much game for it. It's the end of February, so we start a new month tomorrow, uh, hopefully, uh, provided we don't all get nuked off the face of the earth. Opie, how are you? Hey, Stephen. Uh, I guess, first off, my projections for tomorrow would be he's going to compare himself, Biden's going to compare himself to FDR and Truman and refer to what's happening in Ukraine as the new arsenal of democracy. And they're going to do a weird laugh on COVID, though no one's going to buy it. Because AOC will still be wearing a mask when they cut to her. Um, I can guarantee that. Uh, what I wanted to talk about was something more lighthearted. Uh, so I've been following hockey uh, for about five years now. And I've noticed that, you know, the greatest thing in hockey is that Canada, a Canadian team hasn't won the Stanley Cup in God knows long. Um, I think 1993, the Montreal Canadiens yeah. was the last. So three years before I was born. Oh, uh, that's great. Uh, so what I'm wondering is in with the Blue Jays and the Raptors often uh, struggle to get free agency talent just because and the rumor always is players don't want to live in Toronto. Don't already don't want to live in another country, but Toronto's taxes are just, you know, unbelievable. Make New York look doable um and i'm wondering if that's kind of been a problem for canadian hockey teams is that you have a lot of canadian players who you know taxes are a lot better in tampa taxes are a lot better even in you know colorado compared to uh you know vancouver is has have canadian hockey teams kind of struggled keeping their talent uh um because they go south and go to more livable grounds I don't know if it's necessarily that. Uh, also, there, I mean, one of the rumors is the currency exchange. If you're getting paid in Canadian, it's not the same as getting paid in American dollars. Um, I, I don't know how much truth is to that anymore. I mean, you had the Canadians. Uh, they weren't in the they weren't in the Stanley were they in the Stanley Cup final last year. I think they were. Yeah, they were um, in the Stanley Cup final. Yeah, I knew they were. They were either in the in the conference finals or the Stanley Cup final. And I love the idea. I kind of like the COVID restructuring i i like i personally th i would love to see like just a one through 16 play for the cup not east versus west because there's so i mean these teams are all jumbled together um so i'd like to see just one play 16 two play 15 three play 14 like that um but i mean you you look at a team like edmonton who you think is just stacked I mean, the Edmonton's had, what, four or five first-round draft picks, like the number one pick for three, four years, and that's just an organization that can't get their shit together. They can't find a goaltender or what, or what have it be. So I don't know if it's any particular one thing. Toronto is interesting because, on paper, Toronto should have had a team in the cup for the last three, four, five, six years, and especially when they had Mike Babcock um, coaching. And so I, I don't know. I think I think one, it's championships are super hard to win, obviously. A two, I don't I don't know if it's players, you know, don't they don't want to live in I guess free agents maybe would be something, but I mean if you're drafted to a team, I mean you have who Kachuk is in Ottawa. I don't know if he resigns and you know you do have Canadian players that probably go south once they hit free agency and that probably has a lot to do with it. It's um 
standard of living. It's also the currency exchange. It's probably the factors you mentioned. But, like, I mean, you have Canadian teams that have good young talent. It's just a question of... I think it's Canadian players love democracy and don't want to live in a dictatorship. Well, there's that. They should be celebrated for that. There's that. And and as I've said, American-born player Austin Matthews should be tried at the Hague for war crimes. He's he's basically committed treason. I know we use treason lightly around... You know, I know I know we just throw that word out there whenever like someone has a bad tweet or whatever. Uh, but no, Austin Matthews really is guilty of treason. He, he yeah. should have his passport and his citizenship revoked, and you know he can stay he can stay up there. Uh, I, I don't want him back, and we should build a wall around Toronto and make sure he does. No, well, uh, that's all I have. I'll go to the next person, but uh, go Blues, Stephen. Who's what? You said you started watching it five years ago. What was a team you latched onto? Oh, okay, he's gone. All right, we're just going to assume he's an Avalanche or an Islanders fan. That's that's just what we're going to do. Joseph, how are you? Good. How are you? Um, I'm okay. I, I guess, guess it was... like the Monday's going on a little bit. I've, I've I've just I have Ukraine coming out of every hole in my body, and I'm kind of over it. Like, I just want to like I don't know go go find a video game that's going to take up all my time or something, but I don't do that. So yeah, uh, I think I had. Uh... I got off of work a couple hours ago and was not necessarily starting a lighthearted topic, but read up like deconstruction, you know, the deconstruction movement in Christianity. But I guess more or less like my lighthearted question is more or less like what's kind of like, what's a recent artist like you're listening to music wise? Uh, a few, uh, this has been such a great early year for music. Um, there's so many, I mean, there's so many bands out with, uh, there's so many bands I love with albums out. The Shout Out Louds just came out with one, which I don't think it's their best, but they don't really do bad albums. So, I mean, you have Shout Out Louds. You have Mitski, um, who I mentioned earlier last year, who her album is out, and I think it's one of the best of the year so far. Um, the one that I'm kind of really digging into, and I just bought this on vinyl, um, and the vinyl presentation is great, is Black Country, New Road, and then the album is called Ants From Up There. And... I had, I, I had downloaded this. I had heard about it. And then somebody even on the podcast said, hey, have you heard this album like this? So this is one that's kind of getting passed around. And it, and it is in some of my friend circles as well, um, which I like to see. It's getting great ratings. Like I think on Album of the Year, the website, um, it's the highest rated, I think, critic album on there. And if you listen, I mean, if someone wants a description of these guys, I would say it's like Pavement meets Beirut meets Early Arcade Fire. And... This is it's it's such a weird album, but it's like one of these that I'm just I'm I'm digging into and I'm kind of climbing inside of, and I've been turning it on. It's one of these where I get up in the morning, I sit on my desk, uh, look at my emails, and this is the first. It's just the first album that I put on. Um, I'm enjoying Mitski a lot. I don't think it's as good as her last album. I'm, I've been waiting for it to grow on me. I I, I said that they released. She released like the, her first six singles from this album, and they were all the best songs. So the rest are kind of like, eh, there's a couple in there. Um, and I'm trying to decide if I want to uh, sell a kidney to go see her live yet, or do I want to wait until like April or May and go see Orville Peck, who Orville Peck's uh, few singles he's put out for he's put out an EP for his upcoming album, and they're awesome. Like I'm, I'm getting more and more into his kind of orchestra arrangements and big sound. It's like I, I said on my podcast, it's like El, it's it's Vegas Elvis and the Righteous Brothers, and he's kind of lampooning it. And this is what I've always said about Orville Peck is he's doing kind of like gay gay country cowboy rock, 
but he works on so many layers of irony that uh, you don't, I, there's part of you where you wish he wasn't doing the whole performance act and, you know, he does like the Muppet face mask and whatever, but man, he, his voice might be the best like male vocalist voice in all of music today. It's just that dude can just belt out a tune. So I'm trying to decide if, if, do I want to bite the bullet and see both Mitski and, and Orville or do I just kind of want to like save up a little bit more and, and go see, and go see Orville. And I'm, I'm really am a concert snob. So I mean, when people are like, well, you could just go to the auditorium and pay general admission. I don't do that. I just, I'm too old for it. I just can't stand, you know, in a giant room, like a gymnasium with a bunch of people. And I just, I can't do it. I have to be like in a section or I have to be sitting down or something like that. Uh, or it has to be a smaller venue. I'm I'm way more of a small venue person. So those are those are some some suggestions. If you like the Shout Out Louds, you like their new one. It's just it's springy and it's summery and it's all of their music. There's no like any good standout tracks, but it's just from beginning to end. It's one of those where you put on repeat, and you don't realize it's you're listening to the same kind of tracks over. So I mean, those are a few of my big ones. Big Thief is another one I'm getting into. Um, but yeah, I mean. It's so far been such a great early year. For, I remember last year, I, I think I had Clap Your Hands and Say Yeah was the only album I was really interested in for three and a half months. And it really wasn't until May, April, June where it started to pick up. So, yeah, I'm I'm loving music so far in 2020. Uh, ironically, Machine Gun Kelly, not just because not because it's not because I think it's good, but because I think it's awful. Yeah, Especially, I was, gonna, I was uh, about ready to kick you out of the room, and then you said ironically, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, so we, all uh, we all have those like guilty. I, I, I not, don't, but everyone else does. It, it really isn't like guilty taste. I guess more or less my guilty taste would be like Creed, but um, no, uh, Machine Gun Kelly released a new song, I think maybe a week or two ago, called like Emo Girls. I first heard it in passing on Spotify, and I just like, okay, whatever. It wasn't until it started trending again on sort of social media and then looked at the video, read a shit ton of negative comments on it, and then just listened to the song and read the lyrics. And I was just like, wow, this is the most terrible, more corporate, corporate hoary song that I've ever heard in my life. Like, it just felt so hollow and just laughably bad. The funniest thing about, like, I've never heard a Machine Gun Kelly song, but I see this guy because I'm just on media all day and I'm sucking up just junk inside my head. Like, him and Megan Fox just, like, arrived. Like, they, there's a new, like, trashy reality TV star couple. They're going to have a show on VH1 probably or some stupid shit like that. And every, like, three or four years we get one of those. Like, the last one was, like, Jay Cutler and a chick from the hills or whatever it was. And uh, I just I noticed that, like... We just we just get like one of these manufactured wax statue celebrity couples, and they're just like she's like licking his face on the red carpet or whatever. And I'm just kind of like it just repels me from going anywhere near anything that any any of those two do, whether it be music or films. This was kind of how it was with like I would argue these people have talent. This is kind of how it was with Zendaya and Tom Holland, um, who I think are both talented actors and actresses. But it was so, it, it was just like when Spider-Man was coming out, it was just nothing but them all the time. And it right. was so bad. It was so bad to the point that I, I didn't go and see Spider-Man. I'm just kind of like, I see these two people's fucking faces like everywhere. I, I, I can just be scrolling Twitter and every fourth thing is about them or, you know, 
or, or her show Euphoria or, or, or his Uncharted movie. And I'm just kind of like too much. And maybe I'm just like grumpy old generation extra now, but I'm kind of like, I don't need to go see. And, and I have thoughts on Marvel films anyway, because I'm just like over them for the most part, but I'm like, no, even, even with the good reviews and that, I'm just, I'm not going to sit through to staring at these people, you know, these two young, beautiful, annoying people uh, for like two hours. Um, it's just, it's one of those things you notice in pop culture media now, especially it, it just, we get these kind of manufactured, like Machine Gun Kelly, just, he just looks like he's like covered in glitter and cum. Like that's, he's just sweating <laughs> cum. Like, exactly. it's all, it's, whenever I see a photo of this guy, I'm just kind of like, do, do you need to just sleep for like a day? Like what's, you know, have, eat a burger, man. Yeah. I mean, I used to be that thin too, but uh, yeah, I just, you get these like manufactured Hollywood couples and they're just everywhere. They're in the news for no reason. It's like Kardashian and Kanye or whoever she's dating or Pete Davidson. who's famous for absolutely no reason. And it's just that kind of (laughs) stuff just repels me so much now. I I used to, and even now I'm talking about these people who I haven't heard and I can list you who they are and what they're doing just because they're basically memed into existence by, you know, right. Stop, stop listening to Machine Gun Kelly is what I'm trying to say, Joseph. <laughs> no, no worries. I just like shitting on the guy. Thank you. <laughs> For what everything that looks like, he looks like he likes shitting on himself. Hey, Joe. I think Joe is the one that gave me the kind of inspiration for talking about how this was kind of the first viral social media war play out. So, but I don't, I don't want you to talk about it unless you want to take credit for it. Um, but <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I'll do, I guess I'll consider this to be my victory lap. Anyways, I'll move on. <laughs> um, what I, um, wanted to, uh, mention, well, first I'll give my state of the brand and prediction for tomorrow night. Um, I think I even wrote about this in the comments. I think that, and you're already kind of starting to see this, I think with the media, with the, with the half court press, which is going to turn into a full court press. Um, If he basically gets through it without collapsing onto the podium, they are going to declare just a ginormous victory. Assuming also that Kiev does not, you know, turn into an ash heap within the next 48 hours. I think that, yeah, or, or while he's giving it, which honestly I would not put it past Putin at all. Um, to just like launch white phosphorus everywhere all over Ukraine. Um, I think that, you know, if those things happen, that they are going to be on, in the full on offensive mode with him, um, you know, and basically saying that, oh, you know, the tide has turned, um, you know, the, he's, he's a wartime president. He's the man that we need. You even saw Bill Crystal saying that, you know, he's been incredibly impressive earlier today. And just I think that it's a preview of what's to come. Yeah, I think it's you saw a lot of that this past weekend when Joe Biden was in Delaware and we didn't see or hear from him over the last three days. I thought that that was interesting. You, you kind of had the the people on Twitter doing that for him. He's, he's, his steady hand has been bringing allies together. And I'm sure, I'm sure he's, you know, up in his house in Delaware on the phone and stuff. But what was interesting is so many things that Biden decided on or answered questions on. He said, we're not going to do this. Then the EU would turn around and do it. Uh, one was, you know, sanctioning Russia out of SWIFT was the big one. And he said, uh, we're, uh, we're, we'll talk about that one later. And then like the day later, that's when Europe went. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get them out of SWIFT. 
Um, obviously, yeah, the Nord Stream 2 stuff where he, he waived sanctions on Nord Stream 2 back in, in March of last year. And then obviously now he's, you know, Russia does does this and now it's, oh, now we got to sanction Nord Stream 2. And it's just kind of, um, I, I don't know who it was, if it was from or Crystal or someone, it was someone of that group who said, you know, he's he's being a leader by deferring decisions to Europe. <laughs> And I'm just kind of like, and I mean, your prediction is absolutely right. It doesn't, provided, you know, provided he doesn't stroke out on the podium and, you know, his eyeball falls out of his head or whatever like that, then yeah, they're going to, they're going to declare it a roaring success. And that's, the problem is, is there's not a lot of roaring success. He has, he has a 37 to 38% approval rating, 56% hard disagree with his first year in office. And that's not just, you know, these aren't just Republicans. You're looking at 70% of the country thinks Things are going, you know, bad very fast and, you know, one year in. And so the reality that's going to be presented uh, is not going to reflect what is happening, uh, especially as it pertains to gas prices could be going up with this stuff. And Saki and the administration have said that, well, no, we just need more investments in green energy. You know, like Russia's bombing the fuck out of Ukraine. Go buy a Prius, you know, and that kind of stuff is patronizing to people. So. The other interesting thing will be the ratings if people actually watch it um, or if the State of the Union is just kind of going the way of the Oscars um, and people are just like, I'm not going to tune in for this stuff. Um, I'm, I'm super interested to see the mask theater right now. It's, it's going to be real hard. Everyone, I don't know if you guys have seen this video of the old man stumbling across the South Lawn in his mask today. Like he's got that old man gate walk kind of going um, and you just you look at this and like this is people think it's not a big deal like his defenders and media like who cares if he's wearing a mask who cares well it's the president when mask mandates are being lifted all over the country and it's his party doing it to make him look better and he's still stumbling around with a mask or a mask hanging off his ear or or what have you so i don't even know if they've updated the covid restrictions the the mask mandate just was dropped in washington dc today that's amazing and they think you're too stupid to notice why that happened. And it's going to be interesting to see if, like like you said, AOC is going to be sitting there in a mask. Or he walks in and, you know, he's wearing it. And, and people are just going to go, what are you doing, man? It's it's these little things people see where it's just kind of like, one, you either don't want to move past COVID. Or two, do you have an underlying health condition that you need to wear a mask as a 78-year-old man who's boosted and vaccinated? And it's not a conspiracy to to wonder about these things. The second somebody like that brings that up to a journalist, or whatever, they're like, "This is conspiracy theory." He's fine. I'm like, "No, you guys are the people that made an issue out of Donald Trump walking down a ramp a little funny." Like that was a week long news cycle where you know his his brain was analyzed in depth by Brian Stelter on CNN, and so. I'm I, that's pretty much the biggest thing I'm, I'm going to watch is just the mask theater. Is that going is Harris going to be sitting behind him in a mask while he sits there and takes credit for turning the corner on COVID? Um, it's these optics that don't match his messaging. And that's the biggest problem with this administration is, you know, he says we're leading the world on, you know, Russia and Ukraine as Russia just steamrolls tanks into Kiev and, and people. Right, right. No, no, exactly. And, and I think that. At the end of the day, it's, you know, this is a, a party that that's obsessed with optics, except it, I, I think that you are going to see a sizable contingent of the caucus masked and it's going to make it look just just even weirder. Um, 
what I wanted to ask you, I actually have a film and TV question uh, for you. A um, bit of an explainer. Um, my first is a uh, TV question. Um, specifically, and for the record, this is actually something that I disagree with you on. Um, and then I'll get to my film question. My TV question is, what exactly do you have against the third season of Stranger Things? Because it is, to me, one of the... It's, it's better than the second season, and it's also the most pro-American season where they fight against the damn dirty Russian communists. Yeah. And my film question is, and I don't really have a dog in this fight, why do you not like Toy Story 2 and 3? <laughs> uh, Stranger Things is easy because, so, just just so I know, because it's been a while since I've even watched any of, season 3 is the one in the mall, right? Where yeah okay yes so season three and they all, is, and they all is, split up into little groups and you can see the writers room happening in that where we're gonna pair the Afro kid with the with the the, the guy with the the mullet the guy who looks like the lead singer of Aha or whatever um, I don't even remember their names so you can see them pairing people up and doing and they all go on these kind of Scooby Doo side adventures. And my problem with with season three is it's when they started winking, kind of winking at the camera about what they were doing. And season one was just kind of straight up horror nostalgia. And then I think it was season two where they're dressed like the Ghostbusters. And then it's kind of like the season one nostalgia of Stranger Things. And I wrote about it, I think, for Heath Street at the time was so like subtle and good. It worked in Nightmare on Elm Street. It worked in all of these little kind of throwbacks without directly referencing what it was doing and then season two it gets because it got that kind of praise it's like oh we got to do more of that and it turns into just like a full-blown 80s nostalgia thing like kids on the bikes with you know et and stuff like that and then season three to me it's when they start there's there's kind of this we know we're in a nostalgia 80s show now and so there's kind of this wink at the camera style thing and like I said, to me, it felt like you could see the writing on how we're going to pair up. We're going to pair these two up and they're going to go do their thing. And, and this will be fun. And that's the problem like the last seasons of Game of Thrones had where it was, you know, we're going to pair uh, these two up and they're they're going to go do something. And then we're going to do and you you can see at least to me, who is kind of an initiated eye with these things where, you know, I've done screenwriting and uh, I failed miserably at it. I failed to be successful at it. I think my scripts are pretty good, but, um, and I just, I just hate the movie industry, but um, I look at when I, when I watch a show like that, I, I pay attention. Can I, can I see the writing happening? Can I see what they're doing? Can I see where it's going? And so I admit, I, I'm a little tougher on these things and I have close friends who hate me for it. Like they fucking just hate when I <laughs> talk about a movie. Um, because I just ruined it. Um, so I just, to me, season three is where it just, like, it went off the rails to where it felt like the characters, the writing and the direction, they knew that they were now in a, in a nostalgic style horror show. And I didn't even get through, I think I got through five episodes or three or four and I was like, ah, I'm done. I think I'm off. I think I'm off this train. I'm going to appreciate like the first season for what it was. Um, and, and a little bit of the second, which I, I can't even tell you what happened in the second season now. Um, so, and you're free to counter me on this. And then the film, what's wrong with Toy Stories 2 and 3? Um, Toy Story 3, spoilers, I guess, everyone, they all should have gone into the incinerator. That was my thing. Um, 
Toy Story 2, I don't even really remember. That's the one with Kelsey Grammer, right? Or is that yeah, Toy Story it, 3? It, Kelsey Grammer Toy, is, the, is the prospector. Yes, yeah. Toy Story 2 is the introduction of uh, Jesse and, uh, and right. the prospector, yeah. And that's and that's where they they are part. They get locked in the daycare, or is that Toy Story three? Whichever one is it, in the daycare. Toy Story two has um uh, Newman from uh a, like he's he's the toy collector. Um, okay. It it's been years since I've seen either of them, but that's that's my memory of two is that he's this fat toy collector who um owns them. Um the other the other weird thing about the movie is you, you go through Andy's entire life where he starts out as like the, the kid playing with his toys. He has Buzz and Woody. And it, by the end of Toy Story, th- is it Toy Story 3 where he gives, he, yeah, he gives the toys to the girl. Or is that, yeah, that's the end of 3 where he gives, he's driving off to college and he goes and he gives the toys to the little girl. And he's just going to give them and say, they're, they're yours now. And I thought, dude, this creepy college kid just walks up to this little girl playing on her lawn and goes, here's a box of toys. Like, <laughs> call the police man <laughs> like the mom comes out and like where are the fucking dads in toy story there's no father figure i guess Sid's father is sleeping in the room in the first one when they're sneaking by the room like it's buzz is sneaking by the doorway and the dad's in the bedroom sleeping but like andy doesn't have a mom and then the little girl or andy doesn't have a dad and then the little girl doesn't have a dad and it's it's kind of weird. Like, are the, are the toys supposed to be like the the stand-in for a father figure or whatever, or, or or what what's all that about? So at the end of Toy Story three, I'm watching it, and they're like ready to go into the incinerator, and I thought they're never going to do it. But this really is the perfect ending. Like they all just get melted down because guess what? That's what happens to your toys. <laughs> like you give them to Goodwill and then they go somewhere else and eventually, you know, they just get, they just get smelted into like cheap plastic jewelry that goes in the quarter slot machines. Um, so I, I mean, interestingly enough, so I got a, my pet monster for Christmas back in the eighties. For those of you who are the Gen X's remember that one. And I still have that motherfucker. He's sitting like up in my closet, like in a bag, a grocery bag. He was in storage at my mom's until she died. And then I'm like, oh, I guess I'm taking this thing back. And I, I took a photo because I had to get the cigarette smell out of his fur from her just 30 years of smoking. So I actually like put him in the shower and like just turned the shower head on and then just watched like all the like the grime just wash down the thing. And I had to take a photo of that one because my pup is looking at this thing like, what the hell? So I just, I don't, I don't really, I couldn't tell you why. I don't know if it's, I don't like them. It's just, I think the whole Toy Story series is overrated. The first one is brilliant. It's a great film. There's just some great adult, you know, satire in there. Um, but like the third one just, it, it was like, okay. And then they're like getting ready to go in the incinerator. I'm like, do it, just fucking do it, do it. And then they of course don't. And I'm like, okay. So they're just overrated. So feel free to counter, feel Fair free enough. to counter me on Stranger Things because the the only thing the only thing that took Stranger Things season three to another level for me personally was just one stupid scene, honestly, and it was the scene where um uh the the kid the kid with the teeth I can't remember his name it's like Dustin or something um where he's on the phone with his girlfriend and they and she's like begging him to to like sing the song and he's like no. And then he finally just fesses up and sings the theme song from the never ending story. And that's the only thing that was like, okay, I'm a sucker for this because I absolutely love that movie. 
And it's like one of those examples where there is no way in hell that like it's one of the, it's it's a movie that like they just a true example of they just don't make it like that anymore. And I could I would like shudder at the thought of what a remake of that would be like. So that was it. It just hit a nostalgic bone in my body. Yeah, I mean that's what the, the first one was so great because it was so subtle with it, and now like the second season started to kind of hit you over the head, and that became a big thing like in culture also. Um, you know, some of this older nostalgic stuff with TVs and films and, oh, we can do the 80s. And I thought Stranger Things was like the first, that season was the first time somebody got the 80s right. That was looking back on it, like, you know, 2000s or the 2010s or whatever, who were doing movies or TV series about the 80s. I know like The Wedding Singer lampoons it a little bit. Um, but it was the first, it was the first like television show I've watched where it's like, yeah, they're not... They're not making fun of the 80s like you we did that like you ride around on bikes with your your walkie talkies like that's what we did and so uh, that's kind of what i liked about it but and then they just got so heavy into like just hitting you over the head with references where i was just kind of like eh. and then like i said season three just felt like they were just winking at the camera and now it's they know that things are obnoxious and you know and maybe that was planned maybe that's how it was supposed to do but it was just kind of like the Scooby-Dooism of the whole season, and I didn't even make it through it. Daniel, how are you? Long. Wait. Hey, Stephen. Hey. Hey, where are, where are you? What are you doing? Hey, wait. Hey, Stephen, can you hear me? Hey, what are you doing? What's going on? Hey, wait. So, so, uh, so guys, I'm, I'm on a live call-in like podcast right now. Stephen, uh, so I'm a New Orleans resident. I'm on the edge of the French Quarter um, on Royal Street at the R Bar, and uh, it's Mardi Gras season. I really just called in so we can wish you happy Mardi Gras. Happy Mardi Gras, everybody. Happy Mardi Gras! Show us your yeah, boobs. that's it, man. <laughs> he said, show us your boobs. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have the video option on uh, Colin. Yes, that's that's a non sequitur. But otherwise, I would I would be burying them. I'm, I'm a little bit hairy. I haven't waxed in a while. So I'm just saying, you know. I've been, yeah. So I've been to New Orleans once, and it's absolutely one of my favorite cities. And I can, yeah, as a writer, and we get this macabre or is around it's New Orleans, and um, I, I, it's, it's like a total writer city, and it's like, like yeah, dark and it's like whatever. And I think that I would probably drink myself to death within six months of living there. So I, yeah. I can't. I, yeah. Well, you got me old back. A year or two ago, you mentioned that you visited New Orleans. Maybe it was pre-pandemic. You, you're saying you're visiting New Orleans, and I was like, "Shit, I missed that dude." Not that I was gonna like stalk you or anything, but I was gonna like hit you up in a DM and be like, "Hey, man, you wanna like get a drink, or can I buy you a drink or whatever?" But yeah, New Orleans is a great city, and if you ever come back down, yeah, for sure. Oh, so you're so you're a local and you're celebrating. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Born and raised here. I uh, born and raised here. The only time I left. Um, I uh, I went to Birmingham, Alabama for college for a little bit, and then I lived in Austin, Texas for a job for about six months. But I'm here. My wife and I are here. And, um, yeah, we're, we're locals through does, and through. What do the COVID protocols look like? Are, are people in masks or is everyone just open face and shit face? Yeah, so, um, so I'm, I'm sorry if it sounds like I'm yelling. I'm, I'm literally outside of, like, a bar. There's, like, a hundred fucking people out here. But um, it kind of depends on where you go. Uh we live in an area, we don't live in Orleans Parish. My wife and I live in Jefferson Parish, and so there are basically no COVID protocols. But even when we go into Orleans Parish, which is like the equivalent of a county, I guess, wherever wherever else you are in the U.S., um, 
it kind of just varies business to business. Like some restaurants make you wear make you wear the mask, the dumb make you do the dumb thing where you wear the mask like from the entrance to the table, which like I still don't fucking get. Like in hindsight, um, but like last weekend, last weekend we went to uh, we went to some seafood place, and I was like, you know what? Like I'm fucking over this. Like I'm I'm not wearing a mask. I'm not doing this shit. And so, like, I just, you know, we, we walked in. Uh, my wife wore her mask. I didn't wear my mask. No one made a big deal of it. Even though the restaurant staff were, like, half-wearing masks, doing, like, the chin strap thing or the mask below the nose thing. And no one, no one made a big deal. And so I think there's kind of this, there's sort of this understood, um, there's this there's this understood vibe where, you know, like, if you're a business owner, it's like, you know, we have to kind of at least have the appearance so that we don't, you know, get a hefty fucking bill from the city of New Orleans, a hefty fine from the city of New Orleans. But, like, you know, it's cool. But, I mean, I don't know. No one's wearing masks out here. We're all cool. We're all having a good time. You know, it's it's all fun. Uh, that's good. So, but is it, is it like, packed at full swing? Like, there's, it's not dead like it was a year ago or two years ago. It's like, it's a back to, is it back? Is Mardi Gras back to normal? No, every, everything is totally back to normal. Absolutely. And, honestly, I, I don't think the city could survive with more than a with more than a year without that, I mean, not only from an economic standpoint, but also from just a spirit standpoint. Like people, people need to live, you know. And, and this could be said for any other part of the country. People need to live. They need to be able to express themselves, let their spirits soar. And uh, not that I'm like, not that I'm that kind of like hippie guy or anything like that. But, but I mean, but but you know, it's just it's just fun. It's just fun. You got you got to let people live. Yeah, like I said, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting contrast to San Diego, man. Where it was with the Super Bowl and Mardi Gras, so that's good. Daniel, go get yeah. yourselves one of those. Go get yourselves one of those giant green tube drinks with the grenade in them. I don't know oh, where no. you get those, but oh no, oh no, oh no, those are. Oh no, hand, hand grenades are overpriced. Like you know, it's it's overpriced shit. It's a tourist trap. It's a tourist trap, dude. It's like eight, it's eighteen. It's eighteen dollars. It's eighteen dollars for frozen sugar. Yeah, I know, but it's like frozen sugar and double alcohol. I mean, they they trap me for a good four or five of those. All right, hey, just 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 for you, I'll stumble my way back towards the French Quarter. We can do that. Thank you, thank you. All right, man. Hey, have a good one. Happy Mardi Gras. Gotcha. That that was a trip. (laughs) That was great. We just had like girls gone wild right here on the podcast. Hey, Steven, how's it going? Good. I recognize the face, so uh, thanks for joining me. <laughs> yeah, we used to we used to follow each other until my account got zapped yeah, that's, uh, about that's a year ago. That's usually how I, it goes. People misbehave. Yeah, I shot my mouth off at the wrong Jeffrey Tubin fan, and uh, that was it for me. So now I'm incognito on Twitter and uh, still following you. Still love all the stuff you do. You know, very appreciative of, of what you do. Um. But, yes, enough of the Ukraine, and that's what happened to me yesterday is I hit my breaking point and decided to dive into a theater for a few hours and check out um, the 50th anniversary presentation of The Godfather. And it was such a positive experience because the audience was amazing. The pictures never looked or sounded better than it ever has. I was gobsmacked at the picture. It was just amazing to watch. Was uh, and, was it a full theater, or what was what was it like there? COVID. Uh, nobody's masking. Um, I'm down here in Atlanta, um, and I would say the theater was about half full. For the first few rows were packed. Everyone wanted to get up close, and 
uh, the absolute dead silence when the movie opens and you have the undertaker making his plea to the dawn, it put a, a shitty grin on my face at how quiet everyone was. There was. No one was even rustling anything. And it was such a joy to watch. And that was one positive cinematic experience I've had recently. And the other one was mystic, not mystic, holy crap, uh, licorice pizza. And uh, it was great to see Anderson return to a little bit more of a fun movie because you know, for a while here, he's been very heavy-handed, a uh, little dark, and that was an absolute joy to watch. And so, my question to you is, uh, what is your favorite Anderson movie, and what makes it stand out? And also, what is your favorite Coppola movie, and what makes it stand out? Oh man, uh, probably the jeez, uh, for <laughs> P.T. Anderson. I mean. Uh. I, so I haven't seen Licorice Pizza yet. That was one where I couldn't get, I just couldn't get myself to go to the theater. And I, I don't mm. know what it is. I don't know if it's, it's not COVID. Cause I mean, I, I went and saw Tenet in the theater and that was in the middle of COVID. And I, I instantly, I didn't like that. So I was like, eh, um, right. I just, I, I've, I've the motivation for me to get to go to a theater now. And I used, you know, when I lived right in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, I had like a, dinner drink theater right down the block so i would go and, and they would have they, they'd have three screens and it's sort of like it's like a miniature alamo and mm. i mean any i'd see any and everything that's playing there so i haven't seen licorice pizza now barring that i, I mean i'd have to say probably boogie nights still maybe my favorite just as like okay. as a watch but I would right. say his, his best film is easily There Will Be Blood. That's still one yeah. I put on to go. That's still one I put on to go to sleep. Like especially when it opens, <laughs> it nice opens with that. Yeah, it opens with that that kind of. <laughs> like, and you just fall asleep to like the sounds of rocks being chipped and you know oil and you know us in earth being whatever. Yes, it's, they're great sounds. They're wonderful sounds. They're the sounds of America. Um, so I would still say that that's far and away his best film. I think that that's still maybe like the only real true masterpiece made in this century. Like as, as far as just an American masterpiece film, uh, I think that it, it's pretty much the only one. There's a few that I personally like that I'm biased towards, but like as far as just like a film that just belongs in the National Archives and it's, it should be up there with like Gone with the Wind and those other ones, that's the only Godfather. one. Um, well, Godfather was like 1973, so that's the you know that's a previous. Century. I think there will be blood was 2006 or seven. Oh, I see what you're um, saying. Yeah. So those two, uh, the master, I, I I revisit once in a while. It's not my favorite, other than just how like mm. kooky it is in some in some aspects. Um, but I haven't, I haven't seen licorice pizza and it's not because I didn't want to, I just was kind of like, ah, just, uh, do I want to, do I want to drive to the theater and, and do all of this stuff? And, and so I was like, eh, like that. Too many and hoops my, to jump through. Yeah. It's getting to that point. And I, and I mean, I'm, I'm being blunt, honest here. And, and those who listen to the podcast and know me is I wanted to be a comic book artist when I was a kid, uh, to the point where I was getting kicked out of classes. Um, and I, I don't even know if I'm going to go see the Batman in the theater. I might, but you know, if it's coming to HBO max in three weeks <laughs> for someone who's a film snob, I really am. I mean, part of it, part of it is I don't have like a blow, blow away home theater system, but I do have like a 72 inch television mounted on my wall. I have the, the sound bar and the surround. 
and right. I'm perfectly happy with that. Like it's a, it's I'm perfectly content. Oh, so, me too. I'm, I'm the same way. <laughs> I don't, I don't. Why know. go out when I've got it built here? Yeah, and and I know that so many people and. You know, I, I know that, you know, people who I like, like Sonny Bunch is like, you need to go out to the theater, you need to support theaters. And right. I, I, I may, again, I'm just probably getting cranky in my old age and that, and there's just not that many good movies anymore where I'm just like, oh, I'm going to get up and go to the theater. So I'm even like wavering on seeing the Batman. Like that's when I might just put on, you know, turn, turn off the lights. I, that's how I watch the Matrix, turn off the lights, just put it on and just, you know, I can watch it at my own pace. Part of that's like my new social media ADD, you know, where I have to sit through two hours. Of th- I guess the Batman's three hours. I'm just like, God, uh, yes, it is. I know. I'm it better like, be Pace uh, Rider. It's going to fucking suck. Right. <laughs> so my favorite Coppola movie might surprise. And, and I'm, I saw Apocalypse Now redo on the big screen. And I'm the same way with The Godfather. Like, I'll go back and rewatch all of these. My favorite Coppola movie, and this is going to elicit some groans, is Bram Stoker's Dracula. Because that one, oh, that one, okay. that one, even with Keanu Reeves's, uh... yeah, no, I'll, t- I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a story about okay, that. Go, go, go. So even with the horrible performances, because that came out when I was like, just budding into a young, you know, a young teenager with aspirations uh-huh. to go into film and comic books. And I just, I, I just, I love the visual of that film. It was, it, there's still almost no film that's been like made like it just, the you know, and it's all done with like film effects, like some of the you know like the eyes and the in the sunset and things like that. This is all done with camera work, right. and I don't think that that gets appreciated enough because now old CGI. I mean, yeah, Oldman, all, Jesus, that was one of his best. And he wasn't a known guy at the time. I mean, he had no. done you know Sid and Nancy and a few others and JFK, Lee Harvey Oswald. But yeah, he was just they cast an unknown dude in this role, and. Mm-hmm. So when you go back and if you rewatch it and you watch some of the techniques that he uses to create the effects, those are all just old world movie effects. Like there's, it's, it's you know, way putting uh, lighting filters on the camera to, to do certain Force things. Force perspective and, and all kinds of Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it just does not get that kind of appreciation. The score for Bram Stoker's Dracula is, is one of my favorite scores. Uh, the costume design, it, it did win best act, best costume design and deserved it. So instead of like putting Dracula in this cloak and things, it like puts him in these long, you know, flowing, almost Japanese style robes. Mm-hmm. And so just all of that put together. Now you mentioned Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder. <laughs> um, so when I was in, when I was in film school and the first time I took an editing class, and this was before we you, we had some online editing, but it was still pretty much analog. You had to learn how to go into a videotape and splice the, the scenes together. So the scene where Jonathan Harker is leaving, and he's like, "We can be married when I return." <laughs> yeah, we had we had like six cuts of that whole scene, and the assignment really? was the, the assignment was to put together a scene like different than the one in the film. So you, you look at the different takes and angles and I don't know how they got this footage. I don't know if Coppola gave it to the film school or if he, he okayed it, but it was just all these different takes of Keanu Reeves going, we can be married when I return. We can be married when I return. We can be married <laughs> when I return. And you had, uh, and you had to go in and you had to splice that, that, you know, that 45 second scene together. Right. And so, yeah, give it, even even with the accents, um, it's still it's still probably my favorite film of his far and away. Like I, I get okay. I get that there's the Godfather and you can't go near the Godfather and Godfather Two and you can't go near Apocalypse. No, I mean 
But as far as like my, you can go to your personal, godfather too. You, you can go to your godfather too. As far as my personal, too. yeah. But those, it's like you said. It, I that's one I wouldn't mind getting up and go seeing in the theater, like you did. But there's such events like to, to sit down and actually watch. A Godfather is one of those where I'll put on to sleep now too. But to actually sure. sit down and get through it, uh, when when they released the special editions just this past what year last year, uh, mm-hmm. I went through I went through and watched all three of them, and I even watched the Godfather three and. Um, I like what they did to the Godfather three, but I still I cannot get over Sofia Coppola. I can't I can't oh, the, do the, it. The, what it was the what did they call it? It was the it was the new cut. I hadn't even seen it yet. Yeah, is it, is yeah, it worth like it? They, yeah, they add in some they add in some good background cut, uh, some good stuff about Andy Garcia's character, and they they mm-hmm. add in a little bit more uh, to the story where you kind of you understand some of the actions that are happening a little bit better. Um, okay. But yeah, I still I still cannot get over Sofia Coppola, and there was some big <laughs> thing about that. Like it was supposed that to be, was, Winona, was it was supposed to be on that. It was it was supposed to be Winona Ryder, and Winona oh. Ryder either dropped out or couldn't do it all of a sudden, so he had to fill that role at the last second. And Sofia Coppola was her stand-in, so she knew the script, and she was you know already on set before she before she dropped out. And so they right. just was like, she knows the role better than any actress that I could bring in. Uh, it's too bad she can't act. Um, but she, <laughs> Sophie, Sophia got the better character, characteristics of her father, obviously writing, direction, and things like that. But yeah. so th- that would be that. Bram Stoker's Dracula would be probably my favorite. All right. Well, cool. Well, uh, I, I can't stress enough. If you, if you if you can get the ghost, because I've never seen The Godfather on a big screen before, and that was an absolute joy to watch. And if you do, everyone out up there listening. If you get a chance, it's showing near your AMC. Go give it a whirl. I think it's only going to be in, in there for this week, and then it's gone. But um, anyway, thanks for answering my questions. It was great talking to you, Steve. Great, you take care, Great, bud. Craig. It's good to see you again. Behave yourself. No. <laughs> uh, Craig, Craig's an OG. Craig has been around from Twitter from a lot of years ago. So and he has the same he has the same goofy picture. So that's why I recognized him. Just. I'm good, Stephen. How are you? Good. What's what is anything but Ukraine that, you, that is uh, on your mind? Um, well, I was talk uh, after your first caller. I was gonna comment on your comments on the hockey and how because I'm from Toronto, so you're asking about how hockey players are paid, and they are actually paid in U.S. dollars, uh, which okay. is kind of interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. So, so that they yeah, so even so, if they reside in Canada, they get they get a U.S. check. So how does that? Do they still do they keep their bank in the U.S. or how does that work if they have a bank in Canada? Do they still have to transfer it over or? Do you... I don't know how that exactly works, but um, we just pay we we pay all our players in American dollars and. I'm assuming they probably have American bank accounts. Interesting. Yeah, that, that's like I said. I wasn't. That was always something like I always thought in the, earlier in the rumor, and that might have also been with MLB in Toronto. Do you know if Major League Baseball does the same thing? Everyone does it. It's all, all, all sports. Things. So, so you're basically saying that Canada's currency is 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 as worth much as Russia's currency currently. <laughs> Uh, you are, you are two because failed, failed dictatorships. We're, we're getting there close. Yeah, you're two failed dictatorships yes. up there. Yes. What was the mood? What was um, the mood up so, in Toronto 
because I know Toronto is a pretty liberal Canadian city. What was the mood with the trucker convoy in Ottawa in Toronto? Was it kind of like, oh, we don't care, eh? Or was it like people supporting? Was it people like telling them to be arrested? What was the overall? Um, so we actually had a convoy type protest in Toronto downtown, uh, right outside our parliament in Ontario, our provincial parliament. Um, so they brought down, but they weren't able to get their trucks in because our police basically like didn't allow them to go through. So they should, so they basically shut it down fast. Uh, yeah, they were still able to protest, but they shut it down very quickly and they didn't want what happened in Ottawa to happen in Toronto. Cause they were talking about stuff like that. Like I said, a failed terror state dictatorship. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad to have Matthews on my team. So well, you can uh, keep him. I will gladly you can keep take him. him. He's not going to be allowed back here. I, I will gladly take him for the next uh, 20 years. He is an amazing goal scorer. Yeah, I mean, he is, he is one of the top three, four, five best players in the NHL. It, just, it sucks that he's a traitor. <laughs> yeah, uh, unlike uh, John Tavares, who is not a traitor. Well, he's a traitor to New York. That's different. So Austin Matthews is an actual legitimate traitor to his country by playing for a dictatorship in Canada. It'd be like it'd be like an American player going to the Olympics and playing for Russia at this point. There's no different. Jonathan Tavares is a, is a traitor to the city that was good to him and that uh, you know gave him a good career. He helped put the Islanders back on the map. Um, one of the best, absolute best moments. I've seen in a live hockey game is uh, so when I moved to New York, I, I latched onto the Islanders for a couple. I, I still went to a couple of Rangers games, but that's such a corporate crowd. And uh, the Islanders, you could drop 60 bucks and for a ticket at the, at the Brooklyn arena and get a lower bowl ticket. Like this was just when the Islanders were starting to be serviceable and good. And so I, you could literally, I could drop $65 and go see a hockey game in the lower bowl. And I could never even do that in Colorado, um, which is another kind of corporate fan base. But when Tavares was, when he left, and for those of you who don't know what happened, Jonathan Tavares, he's one of the best players in the NHL. He is going to hit free agency and the Islanders are like, you need to tell us what you want to do here. If you're going to go to free agency, we're probably going to trade you so we can get something back for you, whatever. We'll trade you to a cup contender, whatever but we want to know. And he told the Islanders, well, no, I, I want to be here. I'm looking at coming back here. So they kept him past the trade deadline, free agency, the season ends, free agency comes, Jonathan Tavares bolts New York for Toronto, signs a max deal. And so uh, he, he kind of stung, he, he stung us on that one. Uh, the next year is like when the Islanders almost went to the Stanley Cup. And the first, I, I got ticket to the first game back. Uh, and this one was actually on Long Island. They moved it. Um, from the Brooklyn Arena. That was not a fun trip uh, for me in, in the Uber wallet. Um, and it was the it was Tavares' first game playing the Islanders, and the arena just starts chanting, we don't need you, over and over as the, I think the Islanders win that game. And then also, I think in a playoff series, I don't know if they played it in the playoffs, but that was the big chant, was we don't need you. And, uh, and even when the Islanders advanced not playing the Maple Leafs, they were chanting, we don't need you. So one of one of the best funniest one of the best things about it, the Islanders fan base the Islanders games is up in the nosebleeds there is a group of fans and they all wear referee outfits and they have an entire section so it's like 
like 90 people who are wearing referee outfits and that's what they do. They're called the zebras and they just cheer the refs. So whenever the ref makes a call or a whistle, they all cheer. And when a player starts yelling at the ref, they boo the players. And so whenever there's a whistle, the entire section goes, yeah, that's a good call. And you can hear them and they're just absolutely hilarious. And you'll see them walking around and they're, uh, that's hilarious. Uh, we don't really have that in Toronto because uh, tickets are very expensive. Uh, the upper bowl seats are about $100 a ticket, and that's if you're lucky to, uh, that they even sell them. Um, another thing I was going to comment on is that you asked about uh, players uh, coming to Toronto, and when Stamkos was a free agent, we did we were one of the teams that were going to offer him. But the reason why he stayed in Tampa was because of the lower taxes and all that stuff. But we were offering him things like uh, a lot of deals. And uh, because our the media here is very prevalent and like it, Toronto is such a big fan base that uh, your sponsorships are like through the roof here. So that's what another incentive that we had for Tavares to come here. Freedom wins. Low taxes and freedom wins. I don't know what to tell you up there, Justin. Um, uh, things I don't know who I feel I don't know who I feel more sorry for right now. Like average Canadian citizens or citizens in Ukraine, they're like exact same situations at the moment. Um, two failed dictators trying to exercise their their power over their citizenry, and it's not going well. Uh, if it's your first time, uh, you should you should have the microphone button at the bottom. So if you're muted, uh, just hit that, hey, I- and then you're good. I got you. Hey, hey, despite everything going on in Ukraine, uh, the Biden administration is still trying to negotiate the Iran nuclear deal again with the Iranians. So with with all this nonsense going on, uh, do you think that this is a uh, this is going to go anywhere? And uh, do you think that the the Congress would even take up uh, a treaty submitted by the Biden administration for a for an Iran nuclear deal? Uh, I don't see Biden submitting it as a treaty. It would just be re-entering the deal that Obama wrote, the JPOCA, whatever, YMCA deal. Um, so I don't see it being a treaty, despite that's what should happen. And But I think the reason why they don't do that is because they know it probably would not pass at this moment, given everything that's happening. I, run, I read something along the lines that Iran is said they're going to do 20% uranium enriching, even even with the deal. So again, this is just another thing where you have the same kind of you know failed Obama West Wing flunkies who have a complete bass backwards view of the world who've decided no we we need to get Biden a win here you know Afghanistan isn't polling great and uh, I wouldn't say people blame him for Ukraine but they can certainly you know blame the way he's stewarding it. Um, which at this point, the fact that, you know, Kiev is still standing and it's, you know, it's not been turned to a sheet of glass. I, I guess that's something. Um, I think it's just about reinstating everything that Trump got out of Obama's legacy. Um, it's we need to reinstate this because that's Obama's legacy and he's very loyal to Obama. Um, there's no point to it. Like I said, I mean, the next Republican president will just come along and, and rip it up again and go, no, nope, we're not doing this. We're not dealing with these people. Because they're not, they're not going to stop enriching uranium. It doesn't matter what we, it doesn't matter what we do or what piece of paper they sign that John Kerry hands them. Um, so I think it's, I think it's mainly about a political win, which 
the thing that sucks is it's a very dangerous issue and um, you don't want a nuclear armed Iran pulling anything like Putin's doing on Ukraine in that region, uh, especially as it pertains to Israel, uh, which is what this is about. So um, I, I just that's all I think it is. I, th- I think they, they need a political foreign policy win. They think that this is an easy one because their base supports it and the media. I, I agree with you. I think it's this really weird faux West Wing approach by the folks in the White House and the NSC that just kind of think that if they can just, uh, you know, make an agreement with the Iranians that somehow this is going to be a, uh, a win for them that I just don't buy. But then, you, you know, I mean, I think that uh, if you look at the overall approach that the Biden administration is taking, you, you know, the idea that, uh, you know, making some sort of deal with the Iranians when all this other stuff is going on just seems to be misguided to me. Uh, I think it's I think it's misguided to a lot of people. That's because you you have this thing called common sense. <laughs> I just really think that that's what it is. We're just uh, Ben Dominic has just a great saying, which is you know c- consider that we are governed by morons. And this is always this you know this saying is are they doing this because they they just think Iran is a good country and they're going to abide by all of this? And part of me is like, yeah, that's how they think because that's kind of you know, in the most basic sense, that's how the West Wing told them to think. Uh, sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Edward. I'll take you back on um, uh, when you're on, and I think that'll probably be it. Hey, Jeff, if it's, uh, I don't know if it's your first time, but if you look down at the bottom, you'll see a microphone uh, thing. Hit that, and um, it should be weird. Sorry, I'm just moving on. Jeffrey, if you can hear me and get it working, just jump back in. Jared, how are you? How is uh, your morning? Uh, there we go. Okay. Sorry. There he is. Hey, Jerry. Wasn't connecting. No, that's all right. Uh, sorry about that. Uh, how's how so, Japan this morning? Uh, yeah, it's 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 cold. <laughs> well, it's it's getting a little warmer, but still pretty cold. Nice Tuesday morning here. Um, so you're so you're uh, in the you're in a, the future. Is is Keith still standing? <laughs> yeah, as, from where we are now in the, okay, uh, good. In the timeline. All right, good. Uh, all right, good. All right, good. How is how is Keith? how is how is Joe Biden speaking? Oh, it was uh, amazing, uh, especially when he said that uh, um, that he's going to be using a transformer to uh, uh, attack uh, Putin, uh, and that he, then he that's enti- he suddenly transformed and became a younger person somehow. It was yeah, amazing. That's, that's an and then he revealed he was a lizard person the whole time. My my opinion on that is completely dependent upon which <laughs> transformer he uses to defeat Putin, because if he sends Bumblebee uh, in, we're fucked. Like we need, we need. Yeah, sadly, it was a, uh, it was one of the racist ones. Okay. Uh, yeah. uh, what was it? Jet. <laughs> it's always the race. They found they found the Transformers problematic tweets. Uh, yeah. No, if they send in like if they they need to send in the Dinobots, those are the only ones. Like, oh, yeah. I, I have I have any faith in. So like Putin would definitely have like the Constructicons on his. <laughs> Uh, but as a uh, uh, as a Japanese re- or resident of Japan and another film fan, do you have any favorite Japanese films or Japanese filmmakers? Oh, I'm 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 such I am such a cliche on those. I when I was when I was kind of in my teens, I, I was into the John Woo explosion that happened um, um, when he came stateside. He did Face Off, which is such a horribly awesome movie. Um, he did the Love replacement, the replacement killers, those things. Uh, even he kind of did 
the big hit, which Mark Wahlberg and uh, Lou Diamond Phillips as like, uh, I don't know, weird break dancing uh, hitmen. Even that had its like just uh, stupid charm. Uh, obviously, Kurosawa. I mean, uh, like I said, I'm I'm a, I'm a bad cliche with a lot of this stuff. Um, uh, Akira Kurosawa, obviously. Um, and then for those of you who aren't really in the Japanese film, you, you just need to watch Tarantino's Kill Bill films. Because that's, uh-huh. that's kind of where he, he took all of the great kind of stuff from Kurosawa and, and a few others and just blended it into kind of his own weird pop culture. It was, it was funny because when, when, the la- when previous to The Last Jedi came out and Ryan Johnson was giving interviews and stuff like that, he listed... Um, you know, Kurosawa and some of these kind of s- samurai old filmmakers as his guidance on doing The Last Jedi. And that, that unfortunately was the thing that got me hyped over that stupid movie. I'm like, okay, they're going to like, uh-huh. like turn Luke into this all, all, a great old samurai and it's going to be awesome. And of course it wasn't. So <laughs> um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a cliche on this kind of stuff. And um and not necessarily Japanese, but you you had that entire kind of uh, the Japanese and, and Asian horror renaissance of, you know, the mm-hmm. last few years where the, you had the Ring films and the Grudge films, which all came from uh, Asian films. Hello, who, who who's on the line? Who's on the line? With you? Oh, sorry. My, no, uh, okay. my, my six-month-old baby. She wanted to join in, too. Yeah, no, go ahead. She's, Put her she's on. saying that your, your uh, taste in Japanese film is terribly pedestrian. Yeah, it's it is. I am not. I am not by any means. Okay, so if I wanted to, if I wanted to, st- like, if I really wanted to dig in beyond the surface of what you know in film and what we look at in film school, where where would you start me? Yeah, I, I'm, actually, that's, that's a good question because I'm I'm actually pretty pedestrian myself when it comes to oh, a lot of Japanese so, films. So you're being uh, judgy because, like, yeah, well, more my baby's being judgy. I don't, I don't know oh, what okay. standing she has, but uh, stupid, stupid actually, I, I like. Most uh, uh, like uh, most modern Japanese film, I'm not a big fan of. Uh, I think uh, like Korea now is like what Japan used to be in like the 1960s and yeah, 70s. That's obviously um, um, so. Yeah. That's the, uh, like I'm a big fan of the so in Japan we call them chambara, like the um, what is it? They're like the really cheesy Japanese action films of like the 60s. Was oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of. Uh, like Zatoichi is a great series if if nobody's ever seen them. Um, and a lot of Kill Bill is kind of from that, like the Zatoichi stuff. Uh, so it's like about this uh, blind masseuse who's also a swordsman. Um, and that's like a classic film series. Hopefully, uh, hopefully not at the same time. It would be like, you don't want to be with a sword while you're trying to give a blind. But uh, I, I think, yeah, nobody can go wrong with uh, Kurosawa, Kurosawa films. They're almost always good. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I am like pretty pedestrian on them, but uh, there was a brief, I, I had a brief thing, right? You know, you, you go, I, I went back and, and I watched, you know, some of the old Kurosawa stuff um, and then also some of the animation stuff, you know, um, oh. Spirited Away and things like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, you, you go back and you look at The Seven Samurai or you look at Yukiru or anything like that and um, you see a lot of modern America, you see a lot of that influence on kind of what modern American style, you know, choreography and things like that went into. And, he, and even, even like I said, going into modern filmmakers like George Lucas, or whatever, and how they studied, they brought all of these elements into their own stuff. So, 
Yeah, it's actually, yeah, Ikiyu is actually my favorite uh, Kurosawa film. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, anybody who's, who's interested, just uh, like the old 60s and 70s Chambara films, uh, they're always, they're really, what, what's the word? They're almost like Roger Corman-esque. Uh, yeah. Like really cheap to make, but, uh, and like maybe a little bit exploitative, but really always very fun. Exploitative, the better. But uh, maybe the only modern, like the last Japanese film that I really liked that was newer, uh, if you haven't seen it, it's uh, called One Cut of the Dead. Um, came out well, maybe a couple of years ago, but it's a, uh, it was like a super low budget movie. It's a zombie movie, but uh, if you haven't seen it, like don't, don't look into anything in it. Just I go think, in blind. Yeah, I, I haven't, I haven't seen this, but I think uh, the guys on Red Letter Media, Media talked about this film. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, my wife and I watched it a couple months ago, and we we loved it. Uh, if you haven't seen, right. it, I highly recommend that one. It's one of the better yeah. modern Japanese movies that I've seen. Yeah, I know, I know. Red Letter Media talked about it a little bit. They didn't do like an episode on it, but they referenced it a, a bunch of times in one of their videos. And yeah, so mm-hmm. I, I pulled it up here. It's called One Cut of the Dead. It says things go badly for a hack director and film crew shooting a low-budget zombie film in an abandoned World War II Japanese facility when they are actually attacked by real zombies. So yeah, it's yeah. Uh, yeah don't look anything more into it other than that because it, it has a big no. uh, shift. But oh, uh, okay, and it becomes so much to... much better much better in the second half. Uh, because Great. So yeah, uh, we won't. I won't. I, I don't want to. I won't ruin it. it. It's good. I, I won't ruin it, and I bookmarked it. So this is this is what I'm going to have to look. I'm going to have to look at into now when I have some time. All right. Well, thank you very no, much. Thanks, Jared. Good, good to hear from you again. Try, try, have a good have a good morning over there, and with your baby as well. Will do. Tell your baby not to be so judgy this early on. It's not going to get her anywhere. Okay. Yeah, you, you should hear this thing she says to me all the time. Yeah, I, I bet. <laughs> Cheers. All right. Well, thank you very much. All right. Uh, Vanessa's up, and then we'll do Jim, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap up. Like I said, a little bit of a lighter episode. I'm just uh, I, somebody said they had their breaking point with Ukraine. So if if you've had that as well, you can tell me what your breaking point was. So I just, I needed to get out of the fuzz of everything about Ukraine. So Vanessa, what's what's your thing that is any? Well, I think we should keep talking about movies since this is kind of a movie episode today. Um, So I don't know if you've seen the new Cursed movie. It's like a horror movie that just came out. I have not. I'm really, I'm really weird on horror. I'm not, I'm not good with slasher horror. Um, I'm, I'm excellent with like Robert Eggers style horror, like The Lighthouse, The Witch, It Follows. Um, yes stuff stuff like that so same I, with I'm, me yeah i don't I, I i just can't do the texas chainsaw I, I love the original texas chainsaw massacre and i think they're up to like version 36 now of the same movie <laughs> um and i just i can't do those anymore i'm just yeah i tried the new saw film and i'm like yeah like i like the first saw film and then everything else is just like crap um, but no, yeah. I have I have uh, not even heard of this. So it, is it is it on Netflix? It's cursed. No, no, they it was at Sundance and it, it, they just released it theatrically. I think last week or the week before. But it it's set in like the eighteen um, hundreds, I guess, like post Civil War, and it it looks kind of like moody, creepy. It's dark and mysterious, and it's there's it doesn't look like it's gory porn slasher type. Is stuff. it is it studio is it Studio A twenty four? 
that did it by chance? I I actually don't know. I'd have to look it up. Okay. But it it looked it looked sufficiently creepy enough to make me afraid to walk down the hall at two a.m. to go pee. So. <laughs> It's uh, if if I'm reading this right, it's the curse is a 2021 horror film. It says in the late 19th century, brutal land baron Seamus Seamus Lorit slaughters a Roma clan, unleashing a curse of his family and village. In the days that follow, the townspeople are plagued by nightmares. Seamus' son Edward goes missing, and the boy is found murdered. Well, there's a spoiler. The locals suspect a wild animal, but visiting pathologist John McBride warns of a more sinister presence lurking in the woods. I could probably do this one. Yeah, if you watch the preview, it looks kind of. I I would go see it. Um, okay. Did you, did you, have, you, have you seen Antlers by chance? No, it's on my list. It's on HBO Max now, and I have it in my queue. I just haven't gotten to it yet. Yeah. So Antlers, when all the COVID films got postponed, um. So there were all these films just got postponed. Quiet, uh, uh, Quiet Place Two was postponed, and a few others yeah. with COVID. And Antlers was the one that I was looking forward to because it's uh, the director is Scott Hooper, which is I think one of the best working filmmakers in Hollywood. His last, not before Antlers, his last five films consecutively were better than Christopher Nolan's last five films consecutively. Um, that consecutively is an important word there. Um, but Scott Hooper did Into the Furnace, which is a film that I, I it's weird because I'm one of the only people I know that actually liked that film. Um, he did Crazy Heart, which Jeff Bridges won. Uh, yeah, he did Hostels. For. I like Hostels. He, he, yeah, he did Hostels, which was just Christian Bale and this like growling, bushy mustache set in the Old West. And then so he switched genres completely and did <clears throat> he did a film called Antlers, which is about the um, – Oh God! The, what's the, the Native American um, monster? It's the Windigo. The Windigo. Oh, okay. And and it's that kind of legend, and it's set up in kind of like Washington and the mood and everything. Like English, um, but yeah, yeah. Washington. Like it's, Maine, like woodsy. Oh, it's yeah. It's it's west. It's definitely like either outside of Portland or Seattle, or it's, it even looks like Alaska. Oh, okay. Um, but it's not, I don't think it's in Alaska because the Wendigo is kind of a, it's a North, Northwestern native tribe legend, basically. Okay. And it's antlers is not like super great, but it's a good solid hour and a half long X-Files episode without Mulder and Scully. That's the best, that's a, like the best thing I can say about it is okay. um, it has, and he goes into some of the same things that he's gone into his previous films, like heroin addiction and unemployment and rundown communities mm-hmm. and he just does he just takes it and he and he shifts it into a horror setting um but like yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty much like an hour and a half long episode. okay great yeah i i'm not into the slasher type the paranormal stuff always freaks me out and like it follows scared me to death for like a week i avoided everyone <laughs> walking <laughs> yeah it follows was when you talk about nostalgia and horror nostalgia it follows got so much of that right. Like the music was like right, was the right out of Nightmare on Elm Street, and the, the kind of the soft focusing uh, on the crowd uh, or on the yeah. uh, the soft focusing like in her bedroom when she's in the mirror combing her hair and stuff. That's like that's right, like leaves blowing across the street, and all, yeah. so much of that was like uh, pre slasher Freddy Krueger Nightmare on Elm Street, where they just really got yes. the mood. They got the mood right and. 
it's done so well where you don't know if it's making fun of 80s horror films or if it's actually paying homage to them. Like it, it walks that line of so completely ridiculous that this thing is just following you. Like it's not fast and it's not, and it just, it's constantly it's there walking. and, it, and yeah. it might, yeah, it's just walking after you. Yes. <laughs> and they do yeah. it so effectively. Like still it's like, it's the most absurd thing where, okay, why don't you just get in a fucking car and drive across the country? It's like, no, but that's, but that's why it's so great is, well, that, I also liked how they, they, it's like, it's not actually in the eighties, but it kind of has that look. Cause they filmed in like really rundown areas of Detroit. And I think it's a perfect horror film because there's no, there's no way to solve the problem. It just ends without you knowing, did they get rid of the monster or didn't they? It's just there. And that to me is the scariest thing is when you can't solve the problem. You know, you can't kill the monster, can't kill the bad guy. That's what makes it scary. Yeah. The the other one that's on my list is the night house, which I don't know if anyone has seen that that's with Rebecca Hall. Um, I watched a trade. I'd, I'd heard, I think Sonny Bunch reviewed this and gave it like one of his best films of the year. And then also uh, I saw the trailer for this and it's one that I just, I put on my list, but I'm like, yeah, yeah, I have to, I've never even heard of it. <laughs> well, now you have. And then the other one is Lamb, is, okay. is A24. So if you like, so a, a good thing is if you like these kinds of atmospheric horror films, just look at Studio A24. They've they've done like all of the great horror films of the last four or five years. So they did The Witch, they did The White House, they did Lamb. And they pretty much, if there's been like one of those weird atmospheric horror films um that's been released it's it's pretty much been studio a24 which is i mean they're one of the most exciting like production companies putting out stuff they did midsummer as well they did the green knight they did hereditary oh my um, god so hereditary they, freaked me they, out. yeah they've produced all of those films and so if, if you see a like whenever i look at a trailer and, a, and that a24 font comes up i'm like okay this is probably going to be good i haven't seen the green knight yet um that's that's one that's just kind of on my pile um i've i've had people who liked it people who are frustrated by it um and it's just one of those where i'm like ah, okay yeah i watched midsummer like a couple months ago i finally got around to seeing it and i was very unimpressed it's it's, it's a great it's it was it's, so it's a, long yeah, but it's a great documentary it is it's just I don't know. I, I was like, God damn, how long is this fucking film going to be? <laughs> it was like three hours long. Yeah, also, the boyfriend did nothing wrong. So it's, you know, maybe maybe don't like go to don't go to Sweden with a messed up girlfriend. That's pretty much what that movie tells you. Is. Oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll let you go. You probably got to eat supper and take the pups out. Yeah, most likely. All right. Uh, we'll do we'll do Jim and then wrap up with Mike. That that helps. Uh, Mike, how are you? Last last one. Wrap this up. Anything that's on your mind? Anything? But <laughs> can you hear me? Yeah, I got you. You're, you're cool. Okay. <laughs> so so I got two things for you. You can pick. I got a Ukraine adjacent thing or a niche music thing. Uh, geez, let's go Ukraine adjacent. I have a couple of people from calling in here, so I have to I have to stay on that topic at least. We'll do we'll do Ukraine adjacent. All right. So looking at all of the um, you know sanctions that we've been putting on the SWIFT thing, the the bank shutdowns, all that stuff. That that's one thing. But also you know everything that's going on with the private companies, FedEx, UPS, 
um, the oil companies kind of shutting down, saying we're not doing business in, in, you know, Russia. And I don't necessarily disagree with that, but it's kind of like I'm thinking about it in the back of my head. What could China do to us in, in the same vein, right, from a supply chain perspective Yeah. if we ever get into a beef with them? And I'm, <laughs> you know, it's it's always been there. It's not like it's we've always known this, like our, our supply chain is so hung up there. But like. God, like what happens if we step in with Hong Kong or, or Taiwan and they say, OK, you know, we're not going to send ships to you anymore. Or, you know, they essentially control the quote unquote private companies there. Um, God, it, it's it's kind of terrifying when I think about it. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is and this is how I've been kind of looking at this conflict. I've been looking at it through the lens of what happens if China moves on Taiwan because now, and I, I haven't really thought about it from that angle. I thought about it from would let, let's say China does this to Taiwan, and what would you see the same kind of businesses saying we're not we're not shipping to China anymore? And and like you know you said like could China fuck us up by by with with the supply chain? I'm looking at it from the point of view of would the world have the will to cut China off the same way that they are with. Russia. I mean, Russia seems pretty easy to cut off. I mean, people are like symbolically pouring out their vodka. Okay. I mean, that's something. But, you know, we just had a report that Pixar is not going to open their film in Russia. Their new, I don't know if it's the Lightyear film. I just, I saw a blurb about it where Pixar has decided we're not opening our film for China. Would movie studios do that? Would they say, well, we're, we're, you know, this is, this is a, you know, uh, a war this is a war and it's a war crime and we can't do this we all have to stand united behind taiwan we're not gonna we're not opening our films in china would would movie studios do that would companies cut off china banks and you you're hitting on it because we know like if we did that what what that would do to our economy besides four to five dollar gas so i mean it, it is it is ukraine adjacent it's the one it's the thing that i i've been thinking about a lot it's not it's one that's probably a little bit above my head and my pay grade, but I look at this and I go, I think it feels like Russia is pretty easy to isolate because, you know, we don't do a lot of direct business with them. Obviously we do proxy business with them through Europe and Germany and whatever, but we don't deal with Russia on a firsthand basis with a lot of goods and services. China on the other hand is a different monster and would the world have the will to say we're cutting China off if they invaded Taiwan? Because you know what? We didn't have the will to do that when they unleashed a plague on the earth, whether it was on purpose or accidental. I don't really care. 16 million people are dead because of something that came out of that country. And we can't even get a UN resolution to sanction China for that. And it's just, oh, it just, it happened. Uh, yeah, you know, it just, it fell, the virus fell out of a pangolin's asshole. Nothing we can do. And every time we try to get in there to figure out, you know, why, where, where this came from, what happened, we get rebuffed and shut out and the world elites just go, nah, you know, what are you going to do? And, and, oh, by the way, we're going to give you the Olympics, you know, here you go. And I mean, if we can't right. even fucking revoke the Olympic, you know, you, you revoke the Olympics from China for their their human rights abuses, their slave labor abuses, for, like I said, just a virus <laughs> that like changed 
every single person's life on this planet, like every single person, you know, whether you either catch this virus, or you won't catch it, or you, you lost your job, or you had to stay home, or whatever. And we don't even have the will to the world that when China says, oh, no, you're not coming in here to to look at this. And we just go, OK, you know, hey, thought we'd ask nothing else we can do. You you fine, guys. And oh, here, have the Olympics. That's great. Um, so, yeah, it, it is something I've thought about. It's something I'm thinking about a lot is I again, as you watch this stuff, every time I see something symbolically happen for Russia, I, I wonder, would we do that? You know, would we do that for China? I don't think you're going to see Eric Swalwell threatening to deport Chinese Americans out of the country or Chinese students out of the country. I know because we tried that and that party stood against it. Um, you're not going to see uh, too many politicians. And part of that is because it's easy to hate Russia because they just look like mean white guys. Let's just be honest that that's easy. It's easy to do that. So you introduce the race angle into it and the stop Asian hate angle into it and no, I think China probably takes Taiwan, and it's like, yeah, and you know, like Russia is not as integrated into our media, and and you know, every right. tendril, and yeah, everything culturally or anything, so, yeah, they're not. So it's it's easy, like there's less of a cost to it yet, like yeah, gas prices, but I mean, China, I, I didn't even think about it from the angle of you know, are folks not doing business with them because. It, it, you know, they'll never do that. Like, you know, to what you're saying, if we won't protest the Olympics, you know, what, what will we do? Right. Yeah. I mean, if they, they have literal, they're committing literal genocide against, uh, you know, a Muslim, a Chinese Muslim ethnic race. And we're not doing shit about that. And that's something where it's like, well, it's bad, but it's in their borders. It's their own country. And then, of course, you get the political left using the talking point. Well, how can we comment on that when we, you know, we have, you know, African-Americans being shot by police here? And that's a Chinese talking point. Anyone who repeats that is either willfully or naively repeating Chinese, excuse me, propaganda. And so that's something that happens in their borders. But then again, the virus happens and that comes out of the borders and we can't even we can't even get Anthony Fauci to lightly criticize them uh, because of the grant money and his and his ties to all of that stuff. And I mean, if, if they move on Taiwan, what are you going to do? Are we going to divest from China? OK, good. Good luck with that. And so, you know, I make these snarky tweets on you know Twitter where I'm just like, hey, that was probably a bad idea. It was probably a bad idea for Angela Merkel to let Vladimir Putin have 60 percent of you know Germany's energy supply because of a scoldy Swedish team. That was probably not smart. <laughs> and the same thing is happening with China. We're just we're exporting so much of our you know outsourcing so much of our culture to them and our media and our financial systems and, and everything. And the problem is, is China fucking knows it. They're just like, oh, yeah, OK. Um, and you can bet that they're taking notes about this stuff. So when they see Europe and they see the United States are sanctioning SWIFT and they're sanctioning Russia on all this, they're taking notes on every single step that the world is taking. And then they're looking at how they can they can counter that because of how much of our investments are in them. Russia doesn't have that. I mean, we could sanction Putin to live long day and you know what, we're going to we're going to we're going to feel a hit at the gas pump. And that sucks. But it's not like, you know, China deciding that we're going to close your own financial markets. And let's see how you guys like. Exactly. OK, just go with the quick music niche thing. I'll give you one more.
Okay. Well, um, so I, I saw these guys last night. So I'm a huge cursive fan. You're, you're a little older than me, but we're around the same age. So are you into cursive? If not any Saddle Creek stuff? Uh, a little bit of cursive. Um, not, not one of like my, you know, go-to bands or anything like that. Um, but I do like them. Um, Saddle Creek, I'm not, I'm not really that familiar with. I, I know, I know the Saddle Creek stuff, but I'm just like, right. Nah, I, nah, nah. Nah. Big one. But, yeah. but yeah, no, Cursive, um, Cursive is, is a good listen. Like I said, not, not one of my go-tos. Um, and yeah, I mean, a little bit on the older side. Um, so, and it, it's weird to me to see these kind of like, Two, early 2000 bands now like 10 20 years later like weezer who i know came around 94 but kind of really peaked and it's weird to see like these bands older now it's because again they are the, you know around my age and stuff like that so i'm seeing these guys and i'm just like oh god like is this even cool anymore um or is it just like time to move on um but yeah you said you saw them like last you saw them last night yeah, and, and you know, I mean, they definitely had their peak during like the early two thousands emo, you know, craze. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely like if you. I mean, you're into music and stuff, but like they've put out a ton of like killer albums since then. Like even as recently as two or three years ago. So I, I would definitely check it out. It, it's worth exploring. Yeah, I, I will do. Um, you're right. That's 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 pretty niche. That's that one I wasn't expecting. <laughs> like, yeah, I've been wanting to ask you that for a while. Like, yeah. No, yeah, like I said, not not you know, uh, I, I don't have their I don't have their full discography like in my Spotify. But yeah, I'll definitely. I, I didn't know that they put some stuff out lately, so I'll definitely go and uh, I'll throw them on the pile as well. So oh, cool. Thanks, man. All right, man. Yeah, thanks for coming in. Uh, gonna going to. Um, Go ahead and wrap things up. So a little bit of a, a smaller thing. This is a little bit more intimate, I know, because like I said, this, there's uh, one big thing happening in the world, deservedly so tonight. Um, but uh, ho host's full admission is that I am I'm Ukrained out for the time being, um, which I think is a good thing because I think all of us were expecting Russia was just going to roll in there in three days and slaughter everybody and take over. And it's actually, it's it's a good thing that, that is not happening and that, you know, it's not obviously a good thing that it's dragging on. Um, but obviously if it's, if this, the longer this goes means the harder Ukrainians are fighting and, and the holdout. And I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I love seeing videos of like Ukrainians with tractors towing Russian tanks. And, and the other one I saw today was dudes driving by one with a Molotov cocktail and just blasting the side of it. Um, and like I said, I'm still, I'm still a high skeptic. Um, with a lot of this information and Glenn Greenwald had a great substack about that. I don't agree with him fully on the use of propaganda for it. I just, I, I think some of this is urban myth stuff, but you know, some of it is morale boosting. I don't necessarily think this is all psyop from Ukraine or Russia using these clips or anything like that. Some of it is, some of it isn't. Um, but yeah, so I'm just for the last four or five days, I'm just kind of like Ukraine out. So I wanted to do something that wasn't, <clears throat> excuse me, yelling about Ukraine and our media coverage of Ukraine or CNN or anything like that. Just something to kind of close the month out. So I appreciate everyone for coming in. Um, probably be here Monday night, same time, and uh, or probably in the afternoon or 5 p.m. Eastern, more likely. 
So we'll, we'll, we'll get a jump in that. And we only had what, like two, two, three day break. So, um, I appreciate everyone for, for stopping in here. Um, like I said, subscribe to the, subscribe to the, so you guys get all the updates if you haven't subscribed already. Uh, so when you know that I'm going to be posting a new show, um, or when, uh, I'm going to be going live and as well as, uh, if I decide to do some impromptu stuff, depending on, you know, new cycle stuff. So again, thanks for coming in. Thanks for showing your support. Um, there's a couple of calling people in here, so you, you made me look good again, so I appreciate it. So this is, uh, obviously, this is Verse Media Live on Call, and I'm Stephen L. Miller. You can also get me uh, at Red Steve's on Twitter, and you can also, of course, listen to my mostly daily podcast over on Patreon under the same banner of Versus Media, uh, which is where I'll be tomorrow, so you're free to subscribe there as well. So thanks, everyone. Thanks for your thoughts. Uh, some fun stories again. We got some people from the failed terror state of Kanadistan, as well as Jared in Japan. And, uh, of course, thank you to Daniel, uh, who's probably now passed out somewhere in a French Quarter gutter. So God bless you too, Daniel. Uh, we'll talk to you guys probably next week. Cheers.